Lazarus was raised from the dead. What good news! Martha and Mary, Lazarus' sisters, grieved him immensely when he had died. They had sent word for Jesus when his death looked imminent, but Jesus didn't come right away. And as we read in the 11th chapter of John, it tells us that Jesus deliberately waited two days after hearing about Lazarus's imminent death before he headed to his hometown. So it was that when Jesus arrived, Martha told him that Lazarus had already died. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead for the benefit of those around him in order that they might see that he is sent by God. And indeed, they believe in Jesus. And if, the, and if he is the incarnational mystery of God, then they begin to wonder whether God isn't who they thought God was. Or perhaps God is more than they thought God was. In any case, the miracle of the resurrection of Lazarus begins the certain plot of Jesus' death. Jesus had to leave the region for his own safety. The number of Jews who believed in him was growing based on their witnessing of this miracle. And as we read in the 11th chapter, the Pharisees and the chief priests said to one another, what are we to do? This man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and destroy both our holy place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. You do not understand that it is better for you to have one man die for the people than to have the whole nation destroyed. And thus began the plot for Jesus' death. Jesus has shown no greater love than can possibly be shown. He laid down his life for his friend. In raising Lazarus, his friend from the dead, his own death begins. And so we come to today's gospel reading. Six days before the Passover, Jesus returns to the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus and engages in a meal that, in its retelling by the gospel writer, looks like the Last Supper. Feet are washed. People are reclining at the table. Judas's hypocrisy is revealed. It is Judas's hypocrisy that I want to consider. Judas claims to be a disciple of Jesus, and yet he dismisses Jesus' very teaching to love one another. Mary is giving Jesus perhaps the best gift that she has to offer. Jesus has raised her brother from the dead, which sent him into exile after learning that the religious leaders plot to kill him. And he, upon return, receives from her an act of love. Mary, who sat at his feet to learn from him, now washes his feet. It is an act of servanthood. And she washes his feet with a costly perfume. This perfume quite possibly cost a year's worth of wages. To have purchased it 
was an intentional decision. It was to be saved for an important occasion of burial. Mary knows that Jesus' death is imminent. So she, in essence, is saying her final farewells. Judas's comment seems not only crass and untimely, but it complete, completely misses the concept of what it means to love one another. His suggestion seems reasonable, even pragmatic. In another circumstance, we might hear Jesus agree with him that this should be sold and the money given to the poor. But in this circumstance, the suggestion of selling this costly perfume to benefit the poor reveals Judas's inability and complete failure to recognize that love has no agenda. Love is not measured by its effectiveness, but by its responsiveness. Think of the times that you have demonstrated love. Caring for the helpless, perhaps a baby or an elderly person or someone in need. Forgiving someone who wronged you. Giving someone your undivided attention. Accepting someone even in light of their inadequacies. And think of those times when love was demonstrated to you. In talking about agape love, Marva Dawn, in her book, Truly the Community, describes agape like this. Agape had been signified as an insipid, disinterested love. The early Christians took the word over by applying it to God to emphasize his being able to give love wisely, thoroughly, without any demand of return, freely. Such love allows what is truly best for us and what is completely appropriate for God's perfect purposes. God demonstrates love by making us for himself, as we hear in the Eucharistic prayer. He does not love us because he wants something from us. He loves us because he wants to love us. And this is where our hypocrisy becomes so evident. We say, Lord Jesus, teach us to love like you. And when de Jesus demonstrates that love has no agenda, we say that we want to do that too, but then find ourselves acting contrary to our professed intentions. We often come to our relationships with one another with an agenda. We often come to our relationship with God with an agenda. We have a list of what we want and think God should do. The chief priests and Pharisees had a list of what the Messiah should and shouldn't do. The Messiah most certainly shouldn't raise the awareness of the Roman authorities in a way that made his own people vulnerable. The Messiah should keep the Torah and thus not heal on the Sabbath. But we see in Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, that love doesn't have an agenda. Love's only purpose, if you will, is to be in relationship in a way that gives glory to God.
When I was preparing to come here nine or ten months ago, people would ask me, what do you think are the biggest challenges facing St. Stephen's? Or where do you want to see St. Stephen's five years from now? These were often other clergy questions to me. And I would say to them, I don't have an agenda other than to learn to love them so that I can grow in my love of God. Well, I will tell you that loving you all takes a little more than 55 hours of my week, and there's still more to do. But part of what I want to demonstrate is how we are to love one another. We love one another not because of what we can get out of one another, but because we are in relationship with one another as children of God. And I firmly am convinced that if we learn to love one another because God loves us, God will do more with us than my agenda or our collective agenda can ever realize. Judas had an agenda, and it was his agenda that led him to betray his teacher, Jesus. The chief priests and Pharisees had an agenda, and it was their agenda that led to Jesus' certain death. But Jesus doesn't have an agenda other than to demonstrate God the Father's love for us. He showed God the Father's love for us in raising Lazarus from the dead. He showed it in trusting Mary's decision to, put the, to use the oil to bathe his feet and receive the gift that she offered him. And as we'll see next week, he showed God the Father's love for us by demonstrating love in response to the demands made on him throughout the last week of his life. Whatever preconceived notion or expectation people brought to him, he offered them love. And we, we who claim to be disciples of this love freely given, continue to fall short. Even as we claim to learn from the one who demonstrated this love freely to humanity, we find ways to limit its expression. We only love the people with whom we have something in common. We only love the people who benefit us in some way by making us laugh or bringing out the best in us or making us feel good about ourselves. We only love the people that we can evaluate or assess before we love them. At best, we do this not really realizing our error. At worst, we do it in dismissing Jesus' teaching and demonstration and claim to know a better way than what we have been taught. And what does God do as he witnesses what we do with the love that he has freely given us? He is faithful to himself and continues to offer this love freely to us. It is now up to us to be faithful to ourselves by being faithful to God, offering God's love freely as well.
Amen.